Here begins the 17th chapter of Genesis. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Here begins the third chapter of the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
Let me pray. Father, we pray that your spirit will be alive now and working in our hearts and aligning our hearts to our actions, I realign our lives to the truth of your gospel. We pray, this, you'll, pray that you'll do this in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text today uh, from the book of Galatians begins thus. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, I look at a line like that and think, you know, tell us what you're really thinking, Paul. Paul writes this whole book and this section with passion, exasperation, brevity, and conviction. He's clearly not afraid to lose friends. The cause is so great. He wants to win this one, and not win it the way people try to win theological debates on the internet late at night, which in many circumstances is an exercise in power. What's at stake is not winning some theological debate. What is at stake is the full inclusion of non-Jews into the kingdom of God. That means that what is at stake is the gospel to the world, to the nations. And that means that what is at stake is your faith today because you're a Gentile, most likely. You foolish Galatians, writes Paul, meaning you witless Galatians, you idiot Galatians. You Galatians are nuts being tempted to believe what you're being told. Who has bewitched you? In other words, who did a number on you? Who gave you the evil eye? Who did the Jedi mind trick? Who beguiled you and charmed you and wooed you? Eugene Peterson, in the message, put it thus, you crazy Galatians, did someone put a spell on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? What were they doing to elicit such a response? The answer is that they were tempted to become Jewish in order to belong to Christ, to Judaize. The word Judaize, I've learned this in my studies. I used to think that to Judaize is to force someone to become a Jew, and there are agitators trying to do just that. But when Paul uses that word, what he means is for someone who is a Gentile to decide to become a Jew, to Judaize. Why would they do that? Well, we've learned last week, Peter had withdrawn from the Gentile believers, that is, he didn't eat with them, sent them at the back, since they weren't Jewish, they were not kosher, and he treated them as unrighteous, as sinners, like Jewish people used to, and still do, by the way, I, I lived in New York for a little while, <laughs> uh, Jesus upturned all that, and the Galatians were tempted to believe it, that they were second class. They were tempted to let themselves be circumcised, which is the shibboleth, the password. But here's the key for this sermon. Someone had bewitched them. Not that they believed in witches and warlocks, or that there's such a thing as witchcraft, dabbling in evil. But that's not what's going on here. Someone has wooed them or pressured them and they're being tempted to do what Paul will not do, which is to set aside the grace of God for, he writes, this is the immediate context for our text today, if righteousness could be gained through the law, that is the Jewish Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if you could gain righteousness through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And that's what's happening when Peter withdrew from the Gentiles they set aside the grace of God. They are basically saying Christ died 
for zip, and that means that Gentile Christians were themselves set aside, treated as second class. But Paul says, we will not set aside the grace of God, and nor will we at Church Hill. That's what this year is all about. Christ died for a reason, and we must join the resistance movement. We must fight for grace. It has to be fought for like one fights for love. Paul concludes this chapter, so it's over two weeks, you've got to get your mind around these words, in chapter 3, verse 29, and this sums up the point. If you get nothing from this talk, get this point. He says, if you belong to Christ, which the Gentiles, he argues the Gentiles do, then you are Abraham's seed. You are his offspring, included. You are heirs according to the promise. That means that the Gentiles who are in Christ are fully righteous, fully included. Therefore, they did not need to become Jewish. And it's so important that Paul will say, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I think the concept of being bewitched is still alive today. Again, no warlocks, no witches. But we believe in the concept of being led astray, of being, of wandering away, but of having someone lead you there, where you didn't engineer your own downfall, someone else did, but you joined them. They charmed you. They got you to give up a precious thing via fear or pressure or well-meaning arguments that made sense to you at the time. They touched in on something important to you and twisted it at the end. The hope for Paul is that this is a momentary lapse of reason rather than a permanent thing, and because he believes it's a momentary lapse of reason, he gets passionate. He hopes to persuade them. I think you and I can have a momentary lapse of reason where we can be bewitched, bewitched or wooed or pressured and stop fighting for grace. And Andy, bless you, brother, will tell you that in the years before his return to Churchill, in many ways he was led away from the Lord and his return to Churchill was in part about his return to the Lord. We're going to hear, I'll say that in a few moments' time. He's nodding to me, so I'm saying, I'm saying what he said publicly. You can be bewitched. You feel the pressure as you read the media on Christianity. You feel embarrassed to belong. When you read about evangelicals, you get distracted, people at work, family. You get busy with more important matters and you think, is it worth fighting for? Or real people-pleasing, which means you give up the grace of God because it's too hard to be Christian at your dinner table. So how do you keep your convictions? Well, let's look at how Paul asked the Galatian Christians to keep their convictions. He said, look at, consider three things. Consider your own experience, look at Abraham, and most importantly, look to Christ in verses 10 through 14. I put that little mistake there to see if you were paying attention. Firstly, he says in verses 1 to 5, Galatians, look at your experience. Consider how you received Christ in the first instance. And I could tell you my own story, you've heard it. Sitting in a room in Katoomba, a guy portrayed Christ crucified. I understood what was being said, that I was divinely loved, and I wept, I wept as I sang, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood, and I walked out of that room skipping. And guess what? I did all of that without paying attention to Leviticus, the Torah, 
And Paul says to them something similar. Um, you received Christ, and you did it, you did it without... T- somebody told you about Jesus' death, not about Torah. Now, this section here, by the way, is not really um, a sort of mere validation of lived experience. You know, it's your lived experience, it's your truth, and we want you to own your truth. That's not this. And he isn't saying, you had a great experience when you became a Christian, you received the presence of God alive in your life, why would you want to add any structure around that law? That's not what's being said here. Rather, he's making the claim that you belong to Christ because you received the Spirit exactly the same way that Jewish believers became followers of Jesus Christ. And so he says, you saw Christ crucified, in a sense. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. We came to South Galatia, we proclaimed Christ's death, and that means before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Some commentators, by the way, think that Paul used visual aids. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think he's saying something profound, that in a real way, when Christ was Christ crucified was preached, in a, in a very profound sense, you witnessed his death before your very eyes, and it changed everything. A little bit like the argument in Deuteronomy when Moses told a generation that wasn't there at the Exodus, you saw what the Lord did. They, they, they didn't see. But Paul says, in the, in the preaching of his word, you saw it. You saw Christ crucified. I'm reminded of the African-American spiritual, were you there? when they crucified my Lord? And the answer is, well, no. But in a powerful sense, by faith, yes. And Paul says, we came to you, we preached Christ crucified, and his death became your death. Paul models it when he says, I've been crucified with the Messiah, previous chapter. I'm dead, but no, I'm alive, but it isn't me any longer. It's the Messiah who lives in me. The life I do still now live in the flesh, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So, Galatian Christians, the Torah is not your primary story. Christ crucified is your primary story. Consider that experience. Secondly, you receive the Spirit by believing, not by the law, not by flesh. Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you, just one thing, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, you receive the Spirit by believing. So verse 3, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? That's your experience. Are you now trying to finish, to round it off by means of the flesh? And I think Paul is being cheeky here because it's about circumcision. You started with the Spirit... And now are you trying to focus on that little bit of flesh? Don't do that. It's also an image of a bigger picture of, um, of, of trying to do the things you're doing in your own steam. One of the arguments in Acts is very simple. The Gentiles responded to the gospel and God ended their lives. The Spirit fell on them. They received God's presence in exactly the same way that Jewish Christians received God's presence, and Gentiles did it without Torah, and that means they're fully in. In Acts chapter 10, 
Peter will protest, surely no one can stand in the way of these Gentiles being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And lastly, he says, this time of faith, you experience so much, so much suffering, is it all for no reason? Verse 4, you came to Christ, you did so in a dangerous setting. South Galatia is a proudly Roman place, and uh, the Romans could control people there. You started with grace, that was challenging in that environment, but you need to finish in the grace of Christ so that it's not all for no reason. And then he sums up with this question in verse 5, so I ask again, just so we're clear, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law? No. Or by believing what you heard? And the answer is, you receive the spirit by believing what you heard, the same as Jewish believers. So consider your experience, says Paul. Then he says, let's reach back. Let's look at Abraham. In verse 6, Paul introduces Abraham in his letter, and he'll feature heavily in chapters 3 and 4, and is important not just because he's an example of faith, even if he's the par excellence example of faith and believing, as if any example, if it was powerful, any example from the Bible would be fair game. Now, Abraham is important because of the main question of Galatians, which is, who are? the children of Abraham. Now, I've talked over the last weeks about the mirror reading of the texts. When you're reading Galatians, you're only reading Paul's words to the Galatians. You're reading nobody else's words. So trying to understand what was going on in the situation is a bit like listening to a one-sided phone conversation. You've got to make sense with the mirror reading. A mirror reading would suggest that the agitators, I call them the hired hands who care not for the sheep, they're saying something like, Look, I know they came to Christ, but they are still Gentiles, even if they believe. They're not following Jewish customs, they're not doing kosher, they're not circumcised, and they should be if they want to be children of Abraham. And maybe, as we've been saying, in the South Galatian towns, there's pressure from the Romans who said, we want everybody to come to the, uh, the temple, the Roman cult, and throw in their pinch of incense and say Caesar is Lord, but they knew that the Jews were a stubborn lot, so they gave them an exemption. You don't give them an exemption, they say no, and then everybody else says no. But there are Gentile Christians who are following Jesus Christ who perhaps are claiming the exemption for themselves. And uh, the, the uh, agitators are saying something like, your faith in Jesus Christ without becoming Jewish is inherently dangerous. So, can you make it easier on all of us? Just go in there, get the snip, do some healing. It'll only take a couple of days. So three questions. What did Abraham do? Verse 6, the answer is he believed God and that was credited to him as righteousness. It's a quote from Genesis chapter 15. It's very simple. He believed God. And he believed God's promise before Torah before circumcision, which comes in chapter 17 of Genesis, before all the food laws, God accepted him. Therefore, who are the children of Abraham? Understand then, verse 7, that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Faith is the feature that unifies all the children of God, not Torah. 
And that was announced back then to Abraham. Verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. So he says, I've got you, Abraham. There's a gospel coming, and let me tell you what it is in advance. It's this. All nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. So from the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his promise to Abraham and to his seed, we're going to find out next week, to his offspring, and from his seed to the nations, to Gentiles, goyim, dogs like you and me. There will be one thing then that you would, would unite his seed, and that is faith, in the Greek pistos, pistis. And that's how the blessing goes from Abraham to the world, that all nations will be blessed through you, through faith. Verse 9, so all who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now there's a um, contrast to that, we'll come to that in the next point, but uh, we'll get to Abraham next week. And I'm looking forward to that. The upshot of this is this. In order to not be bewitched, beguiled, hold to the story. It's like in uh, Braveheart. Hold. Hold. Even if you want to put down your spear because the pressure is great from the other side, hold to the story that's embedded into the Torah, the promise to Abraham, the promise of blessing through his descendant, through his descendant to all. One seed, we'll find out next week, one family in Abraham's descendant, one family in Christ, not two seeds, Gentile and Jew in Christ, which would allow you to make a divide. Don't divide, start including them, Jewish Christians, and don't be thrown by them, Gentile Christians. Don't give in. Thirdly, and most importantly, look to Jesus Christ. Verses 10 to 14 are dense and profound, and if you don't understand what they mean, they're summed up in verse 14. If you can understand verse 14, you can understand verses 10 through 14. You've got a Bible open, of course. End of your pew. Christ redeemed us. Who are the us? Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we, if I can put it this way, together might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. When I walked out of that tent that day, weeping, I would have taken a verse like this, Christ redeemed us, and I would have put my own name in there, Christ redeemed Justin. In verse 12, Christ redeemed Justin from the curse of the law. And I believe that with all my heart, that he redeemed me. But that's not Paul's argument here. Christ redeemed us. The us is not everyone reading this. The answer is, Christ redeemed us, Jewish Christians, with an intention. Christ redeemed us with the intention that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the nations, to Gentiles, through Jesus Christ, so that, as Paul argues in Ephesians, together we might receive the promise of the Spirit and be made heirs. 
But the, the uh, result is the same, that we all receive redeeming grace by looking to Christ. Now, three things are being argued in this tense passage. Those who rely on faith, those who are of faith are blessed. But in verse 10, those who rely or belong to works of the law, Torah, they're under a curse. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse because, as it is written, in the Torah, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything that is written in the book of the law. That's in the thing you're upholding. Now, I don't know about you, but I have standards for myself and I fail to keep my own standards, let alone the standards of God. And if you're a Jew, you believe in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You believe in the story of God that results in circumcision and Sabbath-keeping and food laws and many other things. What Paul is saying here is, in verses 10 through 12 is, if you're going to be a person of the Torah, then that's a whole lot of doing things that are written in it and a curse for not doing all those things. In other words, there's a weight in the Torah. But he says, Christ redeemed us, Jewish Christians, and he redeemed us Jewish Christians from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, which is why Christ's death is so important. For it is written in the Torah, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, who is strung up on a tree, who's nailed there. Cursed is everyone who goes to the cross. Christ took the weight for us Jewish Christians. He died the, that horrible death on the pole with the Romans looking on. And in doing so, he provided a new exodus, a new liberation, a new freedom. Not this time from Egypt, but from the curse of the Torah. Not the curse of the Egyptians, but the curse of the Torah by taking that judgment, that curse with him on the cross you see why his death is my death. And he redeemed us, Jewish believers, with the wider goal of mind so that the blessing might go to the nations. Okay, there you go, 14 verses. I just taught the Bible, verse by verse. Old school. How'd I go? Good solid six out of 10? I'll take it. What does it mean? What do you do with this? Why is it so important? We aren't Jewish, and nobody here is, as far as I can tell, is making anybody else get circumcised or keep food laws. I presume when dinner was prepared tonight, nobody asked the question about kosher. It's also history, and you're like, it's a long time ago. Peter got a little bit afraid. He had a momentary lapse of reason. He withdrew from the Gentiles. Paul opposed him face to face, and you say, so what? I mean, Paul opposed Peter, Elon Musk opposed Twitter, people oppose people all the time. What difference does it make? No doubt this passage means that we must include those who belong to Christ no matter what, no matter their skin colour, no matter their wealth, poor or rich, no matter their gender, male or female. 
no matter their economic situation, slave or free, there is no second class in Christ, and we must fight for that truth, that inclusive truth. And you must also say, I will let, let no one judge me for my skin colour, for my wealth, for my gender, for my economic situation. There is no second class. If you're a Gentile being treated as second class, Paul says, do not give in, not for one moment. You stand your ground and I'm here to back you because the gospel says so. We must fight for it. Fighting for inclusion is important, but it's not just inclusion for inclusion's sake. It's not like your work. We're not about to appoint a diversity officer for 6 p.m. Because you'll find out that there are things that you need to do. This is not, Galatians is not an argument which says, you know, grace is set up against doing things. We must obey the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And if you do, I'll bring my spirit in you. And Galatians chapter 5, cause fruit within you. Paul will say, circumcision, uncircumcision means nothing. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. And in the Corinthian correspondence, he will say, circumcision or uncircumcision has no value. What counts is keeping the commands of God. Paul, or rather, God will do some excluding in the end. So this is not just general, nice inclusion. Paul will say, in contrast to the work of the Spirit in our lives, in Galatians 5, he'll say, the acts of the flesh are obvious. If you're open to the will of God, you'll know this to be true, that sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery you want to defend those things? The idolatry and the witchcraft, the hatred, the discord, the jealousy, the fit of rage. You want to remain in that space, saying, this is okay? The selfish ambition, the dissensions, the factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. You live like this if this is the space in which you live. Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, but those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not just inclusion, if I can put it this way, of all options in life, as if this were a mere baptism of 100-year-old Western-class liberal values. In other words, do what you want, live your truth, and be at peace. That's true, but we need to fight for freedom in Christ, the liberation we have received. We fight for grace, we fight for the Spirit of God alive in each person's life. We don't give in to pressure groups trying to add things in to the gospel. And we don't give in to people who downplay the importance of Jesus. Paul will say in 5 verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Galatian Gentile Christians, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. That was what it was like when you were under idol worship. Don't do it by going under circumcision or Torah. It's important to know what happened then because it's important not to be ignorant of your history. Peter withdrew from the Gentiles out of fear of the circumcision group, the agitators. He seemed to want peace with the heavies, 
people who he perceived to be heavyweights. And Paul says, it won't do. Paul opposed him face to face. And Paul writes to the Jews and says, stay with the Gentiles. They need to sit at your table. And to the Gentiles, he wrote, stand your ground. There's no need to become Jewish, to Judaize. And so here we are. Churchill, the church of God that meets in this place. We need to know our story, even if it's a long while ago in history, because it's our story. And if we don't know our history, then we are doomed to repeat history. Why don't we repeat the good bits? Why don't we repeat the gospel? I'll give you an example of what I mean. In 1938, the British then Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain went to see Herr Hitler. He flew to Munich. He didn't want another war. And so he let Hitler have Czechoslovakia for the sake of peace. He flew home clutching a bit of paper and famously said, we have peace in our time. That's a symbol of weakness. Now, there's reasons why Chamberlain did it, reasons why he was greeted with cheers. You can watch the YouTube, by the way. It takes four minutes, and it's a joy to watch. To do this, Chamberlain had to give in to the bully. Now, there are some similarities to Peter here, even though this is an extraordinary event, and Peter's moment was the ordinary context of your dinner table. He withdrew from the Gentiles because they were afraid. When Hitler invaded Poland, the demands of a bully never cede, Chamberlain declared war but resigned soon after for who? Winston Churchill. And for Churchill, you never give in. We'll fight them on the beaches, we shall fight them on the landing grounds, we shall never surrender. See, Churchill wasn't looking for peace with the bully. He said, I offer you nothing but blood, sweat and tears for the cause of this freedom. And Paul writes the same sort of thing when he says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I tell you this? You could say history's bunk and boring, but if you live in the United Kingdom today or Australia, you could be ignorant of this history, you could be ignorant of Chamberlain's cry for peace, and you could be ignorant of Churchill's call for the fight. But you would be poorer for it. You wouldn't know your story, the Australian story. You wouldn't know why you have the freedom that you currently have. You wouldn't know why you are here or what you're fighting for. You may not care for Paul's conflict with Peter, but that conflict comes down to something simple. Are you a believer in Christ? Have you received the Spirit? Are you therefore of the family of God, an heir of his kingdom, a child of Abraham? And have you done all of that without the burden of Jewish Torah? You got that because Paul didn't give up, because Paul didn't surrender, because he fought them at the dinner table. Peter eventually woke up from his momentary lapse of reason, that bewitching moment. Still others joined him in the resistance movement that continues to this day. We call it the missionary movement around the world. There's still time for you to join it, my sisters, my brothers. Paul wrote, you foolish Galatians. I'm going to say, you wise church 
Hillians works on a number of levels. You wise church Hillians, who has redeemed you? Christ Jesus who died, the one who loved us and gave his life for us, has redeemed us from the present evil age. Let's pray. Father, be so tempting to not care, to consider it history, and to do what most Australians do, get on with their lives, their work, their income, their, um, their this and their that, thinking that the words that are recorded in the scripture are meaningless, irrelevant, and belong to a different era. But tonight we choose something different. We choose the gospel. And we choose the gospel proclaimed in advance to Abraham. We choose the gospel demonstrated and secured in the life of Jesus Christ. And we choose the gospel of the Apostle Paul, who said that Gentiles like us can believe that we can say we are the people of God with the freedom of hope in our hearts. We can say that without slavery to Torah, but rather liberation in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.